Everybody else is out on a beach someplace, I suppose. Boy, it'll be great when September comes. There's uh, a lot more here this morning, but uh, so many people traveling in the summer. I, I can't, you know, I can't complain about this because I, I took two weeks off myself, and so uh, it's all right. But boy, it'll be good when everybody gets back. So good to see some of you. I know that have been away on holidays and whatnot, and, and good to see you this morning. Um, but you know what I want to begin with this morning uh, is just to simply say this. You know what? I, I'm, getting, I'm getting really sick and tired of construction. Um, it just seems to be everywhere this time of year. The other, the other day, Matthew called me. My son, Matt, called me on Saturday about a week ago. Wondered if I'd come up to Barry and have a look at a pickup truck with him. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, Barry's like an hour away. I can scoot up there, fire right back. I can still get all my stuff done. And so away I go across King City Side Road, get out to the 400, on-ramp is closed to the 400 north. You know, no warning, no sign, just on-ramp closed. No detour sign to make matters worse, you know. Should I go south in the 400? Should I go on across? Should I go back? What should I do? So I didn't know. So I, I head straight on across. I'm thinking, Highway 27 has got to be out there somewhere, right? It's over there somewhere. And so I drive out there about 10 minutes or 5, 10 minutes. I'm looking at the clock all the while, you know, thinking, I got to go, I got to go. And I'm looking, and I can't see Highway 27. All I can see is this road going, like, for miles, so I'm thinking, maybe it's not even out there. I'll turn back, and I'll go down the 400 south, and I'll just do a flip around. I'll come back up. And so back across King City Side Road, get to the 400. Thankfully, I can go south. I go down there thinking that it'll just be the next exit. It's not. You've got to go way down to Major Mac uh, to get the flipped around, get turned around, get back up to Barry. Uh, two hours later, you know, I'm, I'm up there. I'm just sick and tired of construction. I was coming home Thursday night from Barry. And uh, same deal, I'd kind of got over this, I, you know, I'd settled a bit on this whole construction thing, I'm touring down the 400 on my bike, um, and, and I get about three miles away from the King City side road exit, and the traffic has stopped. This is like 10 o'clock at night, 10.30 at night, right? And, and I don't know if you know what it's like riding a bike in slow traffic, but it's brutal, because you don't know whether to put your feet down or put your feet up, and you're trying to keep this thing steady, and you're creeping along, and I could see the exit to make it worse, it's like, there's, the, there's where I want to go, but I'm stuck here. And, um, and, and about half an hour goes by, I get to King City Side Road exit, it's closed. And, and, and so I, I, I have to go down to Major Mac, and I, I get off and I made it across. But, oh, man, I'm just going crazy with construction. Uh, it just seems like it's, seems like it's everywhere, the pain of construction. So there's my rant for the morning. Um, now, now, as familiar as, as all of you are with road construction, and you, you know how that works, and and some of you know the pain and the frustration that I, that I just expressed to you, but you recognize the need for it, the, the benefit uh, of it. Uh, in light of that, let, let me ask you a question this morning. Did you know that God always has construction signs up in your life? Did you know that? God is always erecting construction signs in your life. Incredible when you think about that. He's always doing that. Do you know that? Do you know that God is always interactive, that he's always at work in our lives? I thought it might be kind of fun to take that question to the street this morning, and I found this neat video last week. Travis, if you have it there, you can just uh, go ahead and run it. Basically, the question here is, uh, do you believe this? Do you believe that God is active in your life? Do you really believe that, that God is active and doing something in your life? Here's the, here's the word on the street. There's no doubt in my mind that when I have no one else to turn to, God will be there for me. 
I have no doubts that God is there for me, and um, my expectations are that when I need him, he's always around and my best friend, so. God is always intervening. He never stops. We're the one turning away from him. If you kind of step back and look at the big picture, you can see it over time, but it seems to uh, not be quite so obvious uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Lately, it seems like God hasn't been working. People are pretty much um, going further and further away from religion. God uh, intervenes. Uh, every day of your life, every minute of your life. I'm not a real religious person, so I don't really, you know, depend on believing that there's a God. The good Lord has always provided uh, the best things for me. Just something that you know. I mean, it, you just have to know and you have to believe in. If you don't do that, then he's not going to be there. I don't have any expectation whether if God will be there for me, I try to be there for God. Um, we're all miniature gods, and we have to do our job here on this planet. I believe that God interacts in my life, a hunt, well, I would say 95%. My expectations are very high, and I believe in him, and I know he will be there. He has been there, he continues to be there, and I hope he doesn't leave me. I believe everything that is done in my life, God interacts in. It's almost nil. After I was in Germany and saw their camps, I have lost trust in God. My belief in God has become stronger. I just recently joined church. The understanding of God is starting to thin out in society. Um, personally, I'd have to say it's even starting to thin out for me. My expectation about God is that he comes in gentle ways and quiet ways, and you got to listen for it. I think everything that's happening right now is in his plan. I don't think that God has got much effect on my life. If he is a God, why is he letting all of this happen? It's like, and I am finding myself, you know, looking more into the Bible to find out more. I mean, like, there isn't anything that I can think of that he doesn't interact in at all. How's <laughs> that? Well, what great diversity in those answers, eh? You know, that's why I always love those on-the-street videos. You get the, to see the diversity in people. You see, we all come from uh, different frames of reference, don't we? And the reality is, even as... Uh, followers of Jesus, this truth that God is uh, always working, well, that's not so hard to believe in a general sense. I mean, he is God, and he's probably working out there somewhere. But when it, when it comes to me personally, especially, listen, especially when I'm not seeing it in my life, a little harder to believe, a little harder to believe this truth. When, when actually... Everything I see in, in my life is screaming out the opposite of that. It's like not only is God not active in my life, he's, he's not even watching from the sidelines right now. I mean, I mean everything spiritually is just, it's just so dry in my life. If, if God was really working here in, in my situation, uh, things would be different, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they be different? I mean, is that really true that God is always at work in my life? Is that really true? Well, I want to try and settle that question this morning. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, to the Old Testament book of Genesis. In Genesis 28, you can turn there. If you don't know where to find it, start at the beginning and you're there. Uh, Genesis 28, I encourage you to open a Bible and... Uh, Get that open before you. If you've ever wondered about the relevance of the Old Testament for us today, I, I, I think you're going to see it here this morning. 
You know, people wonder, the Old Testament so long ago, especially Genesis, what can we get out of it? Well, I would suggest to you that the person in this text that we're going to look at today uh, is in a situation not unlike our own uh, in many ways. The person's name here is Jacob. And I believe if we could walk up to Jacob and ask Jacob directly, do you believe that God is with you, Jacob? Do you really believe that God is active in your life, in your situation right now? Jacob, do you really believe that? Listen, I'm sure his answer in Genesis 28.10 would be, you know what, I'm not sure of anything right now. I am living in a world of uncertainty. And after all that I have done, well, as for God and where He is, let alone what He's doing, I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. So let me kind of set this up here. Time for a little history lesson first. Uh, first of all, anybody know who Jacob's father was? Shout it out. Who was Jacob's dad? Who was he? Jacob's father. Isaac. Isaac. What about his mom? Rebecca. Rebecca. What about his brother? He had a brother, twin brother. Anybody know Jacob's twin brother's name? Esau. Yeah, there you go. You have the family, right? Uh, Isaac and, and Rebecca, and they had two, two boys, twin boys, uh, Jacob and Esau. So that's the family. Now, in order to get this story, you need to understand a, a little bit about something in the Old Testament called the birthright blessing. And I know lots of you have read about that, but, but, but what the birthright blessing was, was simply this. If you were born first... You came with a birthright. That gave you a right to something. As the first child, you were born with the birthright. You, you had certain rights. And one of those rights was the right to the Father's blessing. And what the blessing was, was basically the, the, the blessing or the favor of God. And so how this would typically go down was that the father would get old. Uh, he'd be close to death. He'd call in his oldest son. He'd put his hands on his head and he would pla- pass on the blessing of God, the favor of God. I mean, this was a big deal. If you got this thing, it would really happen in your life. God would bless you abundantly in your life. And, and see, Jacob and Esau were twins. And Esau was, was born first, but God had chosen, important, God had chosen Jacob to get the blessing. And dad knew that right from the beginning. I mean, God had made that clear to Isaac. You know, here's the deal. Uh, Jacob is to get the blessing. But as time went on, this whole family thing uh, basically went off the rails. And it all started, listen, it all started because of favoritism. In Genesis 25, 28, it says, uh, get this, Isaac loved Esau his son, Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. That's just messed up, all right? I mean, talk about soap opera. Say, everybody say that. This is soap opera. Say that. Soap opera. This is it. This is it. I mean, you read Genesis 25 to 28. This is a family that is messed up, all right? There's no other way around it. And it's a result of favoritism. You talk about a dysfunctional family, you read the story of Isaac and Rebecca and their two boys. It's got dysfunction written all over it. You talk about the danger of favoritism in a family and what, what, what kind of damage that can do. You want to find out what favoritism toward one child over another does in your family? Read those three or four chapters. 
in Genesis 25 to 28, absolutely destroys this family. And so what ultimately happens here, and what I want to look at this morning, is that with the help of his mom, Jacob, her favorite son, uh, tricks dad into giving him the blessing. Uh, Isaac was all set up to give it to Esau. Jacob tricks him, gets him the blessing. And uh, Jacob and, and his mom come up with this, this elaborate plan. And uh, so there's poor old dad, and he just gets tricked over there, and Jacob ends up getting the blessing. And because of that, because of that, his brother Esau, listen, he is furious about this. I mean, this is a big deal for his brother to get the blessing. That was to be mine. And so Esau's, Esau's plan is, I'm out to kill him. I am out to kill him. So what's mom do? What should mom do? Well, rather than trying to do what's right and trying to resolve this issue and let's get these boys together and let's talk through this thing, no, uh, mom comes up with another plan. And simply put, she says this, Jacob, you're my favorite little boy and I love you, you know that, but Jacob, you need to run for your life. And uh, your brother Esau is coming after you, and so here's the deal, Jacob. You need to run, and you need to go to your uncle's house. Now, uncle's house isn't just down the street. It's like 500 miles north in Israel. And Jacob, you need to get yourself up there, and, and you know what else? You, you need to find yourself a good wife, Jacob, because you're going to need her, man. You're going to need her, because I don't know when you are ever going to be able to come back home. Who knows? Not going to be any time soon, Jacob, so get going. In Genesis 28, verse 10, just call the first part of this story, facing an uncertain future. Where is God when I'm facing an uncertain future? Genesis 28, 10 begins like this. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped there for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. Now let's just picture this for a second. Uh, here's Jacob, okay? Remember, he's growing up as a mama's boy. I mean, you know, Genesis 25, 27 says, Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. In other words, he was home with his mama. He's not accustomed to being out here. He's out of his comfort zone. Esau, he'd be okay in the wilderness. Esau was used to that. Uh, not Jacob. Jacob's very much out of his element. He's in a place very unfamiliar. I mean, Jacob hears a noise in the night. He jumps. What is that? Is that Esau coming for me? Is that a wild animal? Where is that? What's happening out here? He's not used to being out in the wilderness. Friends, listen. Unfamiliar territory can be a really scary place for you and I. And I believe with all my heart that Heise Hill is beginning to enter that place. We're starting up an Alpha Outreach. We've got connection groups happening on Sunday mornings. That's new. We've embraced Cuba as our international missions project. That's something new, never been there before. We have this barbecue coming up in a couple of weeks down at Kin Village, working with unchurched people down there, partnering with a Chinese church. That's new. That's different. That's out of my comfort zone. We've talked about some inside changes, maybe installing chairs in a welcome area where people could get a cup of coffee or something like that. 
Friends, you put all that together, that is a place of unfamiliarity. It's a place of uncertainty. And we want to reach our community for Jesus Christ. I think if I asked any one of you of that, you would say, count me in. I want to reach our community for Jesus Christ. But will any of these things work? I'll be totally honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know for sure. But see, walking by faith is like that, folks. That's why we need the truth of this story, I believe, to impact our hearts this morning, that God is always at work, regardless of where I am, even in a place of unfamiliarity. You say, well, I can't see him working. All I can see is uncertainty. Friends, that's where Jacob is, here. And whether that's in your church or whether that's in your life personally, doesn't matter. He's out of his comfort zone. Notice also, worse yet, he's all alone. Jacob is all alone in this thing. This isn't the body of Christ. This is Jacob all by himself. Now, most of us can relate to that. You're laying in a hospital room. I think of Anna Heise out there this morning. She is all alone, probably. For those of you who have lost a loved one, you know that feeling. There's been a break in a relationship. You've moved away from home. You're going off to school. Something is different. You're away from friends. Most of us can relate to that alone feeling by times. Don't forget also, Jacob here is traveling with a guilty conscience. He's lied. He's been deceitful. If anyone was undeserving of God's presence, it is Jacob at this point. He doesn't deserve the activity of God in his life. He's out of favor with God. And some of you here know that feeling maybe this morning. And so here he is. He's two or three days into the journey. He's walked about 50 miles at this point. That's like from here to Kitchener, only it's over hills and rough ground, and it's hot and it's dry, and it's, it's, it's just not easy going. This is not easy going. When I was in Israel last year, a group of us uh, walked around the old city of Jerusalem there a bit, out and about, and we walked about a mile. And I'm telling you, over that hills and in the heat and that rough ground, we walked about a mile. We were totally exhausted. Uh, Jacob has walked 50 times that far over the last couple days. My point is, Jacob's walking a hard road. And I think for most of us, we can relate to that as well in our lives. It's an uncertain future. So here he is, evening has come, the sun's settled there in the west, and he finds himself on the outskirts of a little town called Bethel. It says he took one of the stones there and he put it under his head to lay down, to go to sleep. Probably, my guess is, the stone was more for protection than than anything. I mean, you know, you're laying out there in the wilderness, you want to have something handy that you can, you know, fire at whatever happens to come your way. Who knows what's out there. And so he lays there trying to fall asleep all alone in that unfamiliar place, and I'm sure he thinks over and over again in his head, man, God is so far away from me right now. I am so far away from God. See, back then when you left your family, it was like you left your God as well. And I'm sure he felt that way. I can't see him. I can't feel him. I don't know the nearness of his presence. Clearly God has abandoned me here tonight. Friends, let me ask you, you ever been in that place? You ever felt abandoned by God? Like he's just nowhere at work in this situation. He's just, he's just not here. Notice what happens next. Jacob finally gets to sleep. 
Verse 12 says he has a dream. Not too unusual. That happened often back there in the Old Testament. I think it can still happen today. But he had a dream in which he saw a staircase resting on the earth and its top reaching to the heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now just get that picture for a moment. Most of you have stairs in your house. Imagine standing at the bottom of those stairs, but the top of them reaching to heaven. That's what Jacob is seeing here. Not only that, there's all kinds of traffic on my staircase. There's, there's angels, uh, and they're coming and going. I see them moving up and down on those stairs continuously. Do you believe in angels? Do you believe in angels? Hebrews 1.14 says, Angels are ministering spirits sent to serve the heirs of salvation. That's us. Psalm 91.11 says, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Loved ones, listen, I believe with all my heart this morning that if we could see the activity of God in this place today, if we could see that staircase, if we could see what's going on in the spiritual realm, to see the activity of God, that God is at work, He is doing stuff, and you have no idea. That's the picture that Jacob gets. And it's like God saying, Jacob, I, I want you to realize something, Jacob. I am at work in your life. Even here tonight, even out in the middle of nowhere, while you're asleep, while life is so uncertain, when you don't know what's coming next, when it seems like I am so far away, Jacob, this is walking by faith and not by sight. It's what it's all about. And there's angels, Jacob. There's angels. And they're going back and forth between you and me. Even now, they're going back and forth. But notice, not just angels. Notice who's standing at the top of the staircase. Verse 13. There above it stood the Lord. God standing up. Picture that. God never stands. I think there's like one time in, in, in all of, all of uh, God's word where God stands. God's always seated on the throne. Here, God stands. Tonight, God is standing up. In other words, Jacob, I want you to realize that I am at work in your situation down there. In fact, you've got to kind of love this next part. Just notice what it says. There above it stood the Lord, above that staircase. And he said, Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you'll be spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Wow, can you imagine what that must have sounded like to Jacob after all that he has done? Notice what it says there. God says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. This is no longer a blessing from dear old dad. This is a promise from God now. Something has changed. I'll give you this land, Jacob. Not only that, your descendants, they're going to be like the dust of the earth. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Now, you can't fully appreciate that verse until you get into the mindset of Jacob here. 
I mean, at this point, Jacob isn't even sure that he's going to make it through tonight. He's not even sure that he's going to wake up in the morning. And here's God saying, Jacob, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you all kinds of uh, people, and all the people on the earth are going to be blessed through you. And I'm sure Jacob's laying there, and it's like, God, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm even going to make it through tonight. And yet God is there, right in the middle of that uncertainty. God speaks. God speaks. Notice what he says there in verse 15. I encourage you to underline it in your Bible. If you have a pew Bible, go ahead and underline verse 15. In fact, why don't you all read it with me? Now remember, this is, this is God speaking, okay? Verse 15. Let's read this together. What, what's it say? I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Notice four incredible promises there in one verse. First of all, God says, I am with you. I'm with you. He's present. That's clear. God is with you. That's, there's, that's clear. I am with you. Number two, I, I will watch over you. I'll watch over you. Not only that, I will watch over you wherever you go. That wherever you go got me this last week. Because sure, I understand that God will watch over me. But this says, God will watch over me wherever I go. Doesn't matter where I am. Whether it seems like it, feels like it, appears like it or not, God is watching over you. He's at work. He's at work. You need to know that. Number three, I'll bring you back to this land. Now sometimes it's hard for us to get this whole Old Testament land deal, but Ultimately, what that means to you and I is that regardless of the road that we're on today, God is going to bring us home one day. I mean, that's in a nutshell what it's talking about. God is going to bring us safely home. We can count on it. He says, I'm with you. I'm watching over you. I'll bring you back. Notice the fourth one there. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue it until it is finally finished on the day of Christ Jesus when he returns. Friends, let me ask you, are you allowing God's word to speak to you this morning? Are you hearing what these verses are saying into your situation where you are, what you're going through? God says, I'm with you. I'll watch over you wherever you go. It doesn't matter where you are. I am watching over you. I am with you. I will walk with you and I will bring you safely home. You say, well, I hear it, but it's hard to believe. I mean, if only I could see him at work. If only I could see him at work in my situation. I found this story this past week from an author, speaker, Jennifer Rothschild. And I think this story will maybe help you. It helped me with this concept out of her book, Fingerprints of God. See, Jennifer was diagnosed with a, an eye disease at the age of 15, and she shortly thereafter went blind. And so in her book, she writes this story. It was a very crowded bus, and all the passengers looked sympathetic as Susan made her way down the aisle. 
She fumbled with her cane, and as she nestled herself into a seat, into a seat the onlookers just watched with question and concern. You see, it had been a year since Susan had lost her sight. When she first became blind, she fell into a deep pit of depression. Her world had crumbled. Her sadness overtook her. Not only was her heart crushed, but so was the heart of her husband, Mark. He so loved his wife and wanted to help her, and so he did. Inch by inch, he pulled her out of that pit of depression helped give her skills and confidence and helped her to regain her sense of self. And that husband, so in love with his wife, did all that he could to help her in her new state of darkness. Well, after many months, Susan's blindness, with Susan's blindness, she began to feel more confident because of Mark's help, and she felt that she could perhaps return to her job again. And Mark promised that he would help her, of course, with that as well. And so every day, Mark would drive his wife to work and walk into her office making sure that she was settled and then he would leave and he'd drive to the base across town because Mark was a military officer and then he'd come back and get her after work and this went on for several weeks and every day though Mark so wanted to help his wife the burden was becoming heavier and heavier because logistically it was impossible for him to make it to his base on time he was arriving at work late every day and he dreaded having to announce to Susan that he wasn't going to be able to drive her to work anymore. But in the end, he had to do it. I can't ride the bus to work, she replied. I'm blind. How am I going to know how many stairs there are? How am I going to know what path to take? I, I, I feel like you're abandoning me, abandoning me, Mark. Mark's heart was crushed. He promised her like he had done from the very beginning. He said, I'll do whatever it takes to help you until you feel confident and independent on that bus. And so he helped her with the roots, and he helped her learn the stairs and learn the paths. And so finally, after several weeks of doing this, Susan was confident. He went to his base. She went to work. Monday morning, she got on the bus. She went to work. She came home. It was flawless. Friday morning arrived. Susan made her way onto the bus. And as she went to pay her fare, the bus driver said to her, Ma'am, you are so lucky. Susan said, are you talking to me? And the bus driver said, yeah, it, it must feel good to be cared for as you are. And Susan replied, I, I don't know what you mean, sir. And the bus driver said, well, you know, every morning when I drop you off at your stop, as those doors open, I can see that man standing over there at the corner and he watches you. As soon as you step off the bus, his eyes are on you. He, I, I, I think he's some kind of military officer because he's wearing a uniform. And his eyes follow you as you walk across the parking lot. And his eyes don't leave you as you're walking up those stairs. And when your hand touches the doorknob, his eyes are on you until you open the door and go inside. That man never takes his eyes off you. And once that door closes... He stands straight and tall like a sentinel and he salutes you and blows you a kiss. Susan burst into tears. She had no idea that her husband had been watching her, but the lover of her soul never takes his eyes off of her. 
Friends, that's God's promise to you and I. I'm with you and I'll watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land and I won't leave you until I've done what I have promised. Even when you can't see me. Well, just notice very quickly Jacob's response here and I'll close with this. Jacob dreams, God speaks. And then verse 16, it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Notice that phrase, I was not aware of that. Underline that in your Bible. wonder how often that happens to you and I. I wonder. God is working. God is near. He's moving the construction signs around in our lives. He's molding me. He's changing me. He's making me into people that he can use, and I have no idea that God is at work. Surely God is in this place, even when we're not aware of it. But interesting, just notice Jacob's response when he finally gets this truth, when he finally realizes that God is present. Notice verse 17, it says, He was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place? Jacob finally catches on that God is really here. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gateway of heaven. Friends, listen, Jacob is standing in the middle of nowhere tonight when he says these words. And yet he says out there in the middle of nowhere, How awesome is this place where I am tonight. You know what that says to me? That says to me that God can meet me wherever I am. Doesn't matter where I go. God can meet me wherever I am. Anna, he is with you in that room this morning. He's in the hospital room. God is with you wherever you are. When Jacob comes to that realization, when he wakes up to that fact that God is even in this place, that he goes with me to the workplace, that he's on that airplane when I'm flying to California, that he meets me on that bus when I ride to school every morning, that he's in that motel room, that he's there 2 o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep, God is actually with me. That God is at work in the lives of my children. Can't see him doing anything, but he's at work. That God is at work in my messed up situation. When Jacob realizes that, notice what he does here. Number one, he does something so he'll remember. So he'll remember, verse 18, early the next morning, Jacob took a stone and he placed it under his head and set it up as a pillar and he pours oil on it and he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Bottom line, Jacob sets up a memorial. He does something so that he can remember the sermon from this morning. He does something to remember. Number two, he commits to living in a new reality. It says, then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me in this journey, and if God is going to do all those things, uh, the, the journey that I'm taking, he's going to give me food to eat and clothes to wear so I return safely to my father's house, uh, then the Lord is going to be my God. I make that commitment. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all you give me, I'll give you a tenth. There's a whole lot there. Ultimately, Jacob is saying, God, I commit myself to living in a new reality. I, I trust you. I trust you. E even when I can't see it, I, I give myself to you. And from here on in, even though I can't see you at work, still I know you're working. Well, I want to end with something real practical today. 
I do believe that when people come to church on a Sunday morning, uh, it's food for the day. So I have no illusions about you remembering what I preached about three weeks ago. I don't think it works that way. I think when you come to church, you get fed for that day that you're in church. That's, that's your food. Hopefully it carries you through at least, you know, on into our next week. I, 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 think that's, I think that's how it works. But there are times when, when we can do things that will help us to remember. And sometimes, you know, objects will, will help me to remember something. When I read here last week, it says Jacob took that stone from under his head and set it up as a pillar. I thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we could do something like that? Something, I mean, part of the reason why he did that was so that he could remember. And, and what if we could do something that would help me to remember this truth? When I'm in my office next Thursday and I can't find God anywhere in that whatever I'm working on, wouldn't it be cool if there was some way that I, something that would jog my memory, bring me back to Genesis 28:15? So here's what we're going to do. Worship team, you guys can come on up here. We're going to do something that I, I never encourage you to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to take something out of the offering plate. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. And um, um, while the worship team just plays, and they're going to lead us through this last song, I, I bought a whole bunch of these little wee tiny stones, okay? And it's just a stone. There's nothing. This isn't, you know... It's not the beads or whatever. This is just a stone, okay? But it can be a reminder in your life. Take one if you want. You don't have to. Take one if you want. And, and just, all I'm going to do with I'm going to stick it in my pocket, carry it around with me, and I'll probably put it on my desk at work to remember this truth. I set up this stone as a pillar that God is with me, and he's at work even today, even when I can't see him. Worship team, lead us.